Well, welcome, Sisterhood. It's so good to be with you. I want to welcome all of our campuses that are joining us as well. We are on lesson number nine, He is the Word. And I am so excited for this lesson. Um, the Bible is an amazing, life-giving book that's full of promise. And in order to get that life out of it, we need to realize some things about this word. We have to understand that it's more than just a book. And we have to comprehend that Jesus is the word. And the more we get to know the word, the more we get to know Jesus. Our focus this semester is getting to know him. Our determined purpose is getting to know him. And a big piece of getting to know Jesus is getting to know the word. In Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, all throughout the, uh, the creation account, we read of how God uses his words to accomplish his creating. And God's words brought about life. He said, let there be, and there was. The effect of his words was that creative power was unleashed. In Hebrews 11.3, it says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. God's words created everything that we see. And with that truth in mind, now let's read John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then John 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Now, I've read that so many times. I know a lot of times when people first get saved, we say a great place to start reading the Bible is in John chapter one. And when I've read that over and over, I just, I try to just ponder it like Jesus is the word, but it's so important. So let's put all of these thoughts together from these three passages that I just read and we can kind of bullet point it and say that God created everything with his words Jesus is the word. Jesus was with God the Father at creation. So all things were made through the word, which means that all things were made through Jesus. Jesus and the word are one. Let that just sink in. This word, the word that God gave us is Jesus Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word is living and powerful. Now, this Greek word for powerful is comparable to our word energetic. It denotes that something is at work, something is active, and it's effective. The Amplified Translation says, for the word that God speaks is alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. So think about that. The word of God is at work. It's in motion. It's thriving. 
It's moving, it's impacting, it's changing lives and making a difference. Now, living here in Minnesota, we know a little something about snow, whether you love it or not, and I'm so thankful that we are pretty much done with snow this year, I hope. <laughs> it's, it's nearing the end of March, so I hope that we're done with snow this year, but snow has a purpose. It waters the ground and it gives moisture to the soil. Snow and rain are actually gifts sent by God to help beautiful things grow that we love, like grass and trees and plants. And so snow ultimately brings about life. This is a concept that we all understand because we've seen it happen year after year. The snow melts and then the beautiful green of spring comes. So since we understand it, it makes a great illustration for teaching us about the power that's contained in God's word. In Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11, it says, For the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return void, but it will, shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So the snow and the rain come down, they water the earth, and they make things grow and bud, and they produce life in the form of seed for sowing and bread for eating. The earth brings forth blessing. After explaining this, Isaiah then says, so shall, or in the same way. God's word leaves his mouth for purpose, the same way that snow comes for purpose. It does something. It brings life. Like water on the earth, God's word causes his promises and his plans to bring forth and bud and accomplish and prosper the things in our lives that he wants us to do. This is amazing. Now, there are two Greek words that are translated for word, so for the Bible. In the New Testament, there's two Greek words. One of them is logos, and one of them is rhema. Now, stick with me. I know this is getting a little deep, but it's so, this is just so incredible. Logos refers to the Bible as a whole. Rhema is a specific word within that whole. It's a verse or a passage that maybe speaks particularly to you in a season that you're going through or a trial, but it's really significant. So if you think about it this way, if Logos was a well, Rhema is a drink of water from that well. So with that in mind, with Logos and Rhema, Let's talk about our part in seeing the power that Jesus lives through our lives, through his word. So we looked at the word as being like snow or rain to nurture the ground and grow seeds. And in the parable of the sower, Jesus described the word as being the seed. Luke 8.11 says, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. This Greek word translated here is logos. Jesus said logos is a seed. Seeds bring forth life. So God's word has the capacity to bring forth life. The power in his word will always fulfill the promise of the word wherever it is planted. 
Now, to plant a seed, we need soil, and this is where our part comes in. Our hearts are the soil that the word is sown into. Now, God's word cannot be barren, okay? It's not lifeless, it's not bad seed, it's not rotten. And it says in 1 Peter 1.23 that the Bible is the incorruptible word of God. It cannot and it will not fail. This means that we can never say, well, I tried placing that promise in my heart, but it just didn't work for me. No, we can't say that because that seed of the word is incorruptible. It's perfect and it won't fail. Now, while the seed is perfect, the, seed that the, the soil that the seed is planted in, that's a different matter. And we're not responsible for the condition of the seed, that perfection, but what we are responsible for is our own soil or our heart. Now, I brought an apple seed with me, and I know there's no way you can see it because I can barely see it, (laughs) but it's super, super, super tiny. But you've all seen seeds in the middle of an apple, and you know how small they are. But this little tiny seed contains life. And it has within it everything it needs to produce apples. But if we never plant this seed, or if we never water it or maintain it, this seed will produce nothing, right? But think of all the potential that is in this one little seed to produce beautiful, delicious apples, but we have to do something with it. If I want to see any fruit from this seed, I need to plant it in good ground. And once I've planted it, I need to continue to maintain that soil. Now, the seed will automatically bring forth life. From this seed, it will automatically do it. It's nothing we have to do. We don't have to pull it out. We don't have to talk to it, right? It's going to come on its own. So how do we provide the right soil and prepare our hearts? Well, that's where this parable comes in, in Luke 8, verses 4 through 8. And when a great multitude had gathered, and they had come to him from any, every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So this parable is talking about four types of ground, which is representing four different types of hearts. So let's look at these four types of hearts. The first one is the wayward heart. The wayside heart. Luke 8 in verse 11 and 12 says, Now this is the parable, the seed is the word of God. And those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So we know that Satan is a thief, right? He comes to steal and kill and destroy, and that's his goal, is to steal the word out of our hearts. And in this first type of heart, it's represented by the wayside. And there's no trouble in letting the devil just snatch it right up because waysides are hard-packed. And when seed is scattered there, it doesn't penetrate in, but it just stays on the top. So he can come and pluck it away. 
And our enemy knows that the best time to get the truth out of us is right away before we even understand it. So to prevent this, we need to have a heart that is ready and and spending time with Jesus so we know when he speaks to us, we are cultivating that soil and we are ready to receive that word when it comes so we're not hard-packed and it doesn't just stay on the top. Now the second heart is the shallow heart. Luke 8 verse 13, but the ones on the rock are those who when they hear receive the word with joy and these have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. So in this heart, the word is actually received with joy and the seed is planted, but it's planted in shallow ground. Remember, Satan wants to steal the word and now when it's planted down in, he can't just pluck it right off the top. So he has to come up with a new tactic, right? So what does he do? Well, he throws a little temptation at us. Now temptation means putting to proof. The enemy brings adversity to see if we really believe what we say we believe. Satan's basically saying, oh, you believe that promise? Well, let me give you a little adversity and you prove to me that you believe it. And we've all been there. We've, we've heard the promises of God and we, we're excited to believe them and we make maybe an emotional decision to own them. But then what happens? Trials come, right? Challenges, temptations. When our faith is challenged, sometimes we stumble and fall. And I know I've seen a lot of times where people have um, come to know the Lord and then in a short amount of time, something maybe they lose a loved one or something bad happens and they just crumble and they say, I can't believe that a God would do this. I, I can't believe God would let bad things happen, right? And then they fall away. That's someone that has shallow ground. They haven't let their roots go deep. Now the third heart is the crowded heart. Verse 14. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who when they have heard go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. On this third type of ground, the seed is Actually, it it germinates and it starts to grow, but so do the thorns. And the thorns are the distractions of this life. We all have distractions, whether it's social media, maybe it's your work or money or vacation or sports. There's so many things that distract us. And if we let them take over, those thorns are going to choke out the seed. They're going to deplete all the nutrients and take it for the thorns rather for the seed, and there won't be any maturity. And it never reaches its full potential, and we forfeit all of the benefits. We can't let these thorns choke out our seed. But finally, the fourth heart is the fruitful heart. Verse 15, But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. The fourth type of heart represents a heart that we can all get excited about. The word goes in and it grows deep and it produces fruit and joy. It reaches maturity. And remember, Satan is always trying to snatch it out. 
But these, this good soil is where he can't get to. And the sower has planted the same seed. It's the same sower. It's the same seed. The only difference is the ground or our hearts. So it always comes back to us. God's word will produce fruit in any heart that will receive it. And it's entirely up to us. But the great news is that good ground isn't made up of anything that's unattainable for us. That's great. We just have to simply be receiving and free of stones and thorns. We have to have a pliable heart rather than a hard-packed heart. Now, not only is the Bible referred to as the seed, but it's also given to us as a weapon. Ephesians 6.17 says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So the word as a seed is logos, but the word of God as a sword is rhema. That's the difference. Paul said the sword of the spirit is the rhema word of God. So remember, logos is like the Bible as a whole, and rhema is a specific word contained from the whole. Sometimes you'll hear people say that a certain verse or a passage of scripture just jumped off the page to them. Have you ever heard that? I know Rob says that a lot in his sermons because it's true. Things just jump out and that's the Holy Spirit breathing in to that passage of scripture and giving us what we need in that moment. And that's what we use to fight our spiritual battles. So just as we need to provide good soil for the seed to grow, we also have a part to play here. And the Holy Spirit is faithful to speak that rhema word to us, but we have to be in the Bible. We have to be getting to know the word and knowing Jesus. If you want him to bring to your remembrance that word that you need at the right time, you have to have that word in your heart. So when you do receive a rhema word or maybe something jumps off the page or it speaks directly to what you're going through, then faith is a result of that. Romans 10:17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And usually when we hear that, we think it means um, faith comes by hearing the word of God, but that's not what it says. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. So faith comes when we hear. So we, if we hear wrong things or bad things, we are going to put our faith in those wrong things. But if we hear the word of God, we're going to put our faith in the word of God. If you need faith for a certain situation that you're in, you need to hear that rhema word, the specific Holy Spirit word that you're looking for. The Holy Spirit comes upon the written word, the Logos, and Jesus is revealed in the Rhema word. And this is how faith comes. So now you have your sword, which is the Rhema word. It's something God's speaking directly to you. So how do you use the sword? Will you speak it out? Romans 4.17 says, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. This is the power of God's words. And the same power exists in his word, the Bible. When the words that God said come out of our mouths and they are mixed with faith, that causes 
life to come forth out of that. This is so exciting. In this passage in Romans, Paul was talking about Abraham. And for those of you that don't know the story about Abraham and Sarah, they wanted to have children and they never had any children and they were like 100 years old, okay? So they were super old, like super, super old, can't have kids, right? But this is what God said in Romans 4:17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He called Abraham a father of many nations. And at this point, he had no children. This was before Isaac was born. But God didn't wait until he had a child to tell him that he would be a father of many nations. God speaks what will be, not what is. That is so incredible. Let me say that again. God speaks what will be, not what is. I think this is amazing. For those of you that are praying for healing for yourself or for someone else, you just speak out that healing. But you know what? You speak, I am, I am healed because Jesus paid the price for it and we are speaking out what is, not what, or not what looks like, but what can be through him. When we turn toward this all-powerful all and effective and active word of God and receive this revelation, it's just, it's so life-changing. And so I just want you to get that realization that the word is Jesus and it's active and it's working and it's moving and it changes lives and it can change our life. We can get those rhema words that we need in that situation. How many times have you heard people, I just took the Bible and opened it up and it was exactly what I needed to hear. Now, I don't recommend that all the time, but he, they will, he will speak to you through his word. So just know that there is no greater pursuit than knowing Jesus. And he has provided us a way to know him through his amazing, powerful, effective life-giving word. He is faithful. He will never forsake his word. And it will produce fruit when you plant it. And it will be your weapon when you speak it out. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Jesus, you are the word. And we're so grateful that we can get to know you through the word. And I pray that all of us would just be so um, challenged to be more in the word, God, getting to know you better and using um, the word as our sword and our weapon. I pray, God, that you would give us rhema words, God, words that are directly for us, just breathe from the Holy Spirit, Lord. Thank you for your word. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.